Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, this series came out of a prayer I found myself praying a lot in 2020. Um, I, I don't know what it was about that year, but there were just so many things. We were dealing with COVID. We were dealing with just political polarization. And, and everything I saw was either depressing or anxiety provoking. It seemed like I was seeing things that were really sad and I think were legitimately sad that we were going through. But the anxiety provoking part was isn't it true that in 2020, we were dealing with stuff that none of us really knew how to handle? It was all new. Was all, I think it was all new for all of us. And so I constantly found myself having to do things I'd never done before and, and approach things in, in new ways. And I kept finding myself praying the prayer, Lord, let me approach this right. Because I understand that in every situation that presents itself, I have to pick an approach. You know what I mean? I've got to choose how am I going to attack this thing? And I know from experience that there are a lot of wrong ways to approach something, a lot of wrong ways to attack something, and often not very many right ways. And so I, I, kept, I kept finding myself praying, God, I, help me somehow find the right strategy. Help me find the right approach. And that idea started to, to morph into, for me, the idea of balance. And I've talked before in this series about people that walk tightropes, like Nick Walinda, who walked across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. And you realize what is so respect-worthy about that walk is here's a guy who knows how to approach this thing. I think the rest of us would just, we wouldn't do it because we know we don't know how to approach it. We don't have that skill. It's not something that we've developed, so we couldn't do it. And yet this guy knows how to approach it enough, he, he's good enough that in his approach, he'll make it to the other side. And that's why I really was inspired to do this series. How can we find that balanced approach to all the challenges and stresses and difficulties that life presents to us such that we can actually make it? The definition we've been using for balance is it's the ability to stay upright when it would be easier to fall. We're in a culture where um, I think one of the things I'm always interested in is that as a culture, we seem pretty good with where we're at. People seem pretty, hey, I'm, I'm you know, like... People are worried about being judgmental about themselves and others, and so they tend to be pretty positive about where we're at, and yet as a culture, at some point, somebody's got to say the emperor has no clothes. We're not doing very well. You know what I mean? Both culturally and individually, we're not doing very well. Um, we're, we're one of the richest nations that's ever lived. We certainly have plenty of resources, but when it comes to the way that we live our lives and our culture, we have a lot of work to do. And one of the first places that that should happen is in the church of Jesus Christ. Because if Christians would lead the way, we can make a huge impact on the culture around us. And as a matter of fact, people in your life that know you're a God follower, they're watching. They're looking at you to see if you're living a balanced life. And that balance is something that could really draw them to God and also create an opportunity for you to minister to them. So the more I thought about just the weight of this, living a balanced life, finding the right approach, I'm like, let's spend some weeks just really unpacking that. And that's what we've done. So if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, just a really quick catch up for you. Week number one, the big idea was that that Balance is not a personality trait. It's not a characteristic. It's not something you're born with. As a matter of fact, not a single one of us are born balanced. The Bible says that because we were born with a sin nature, we were born unbalanced. And as a matter of fact, I said that week one that 
it would be our desire, I think, to assume that the vast majority of people in this world are balanced and that there's just a few people that are unbalanced. That's why we consider it kind of an insult if somebody says so-and-so is unbalanced. But you know what the truth is? It's the reverse of that. The vast majority of people are unbalanced, and very few people are very balanced. And so one of the big things that we talked about in week one is you could be you, you could be a person who stands out from the crowd, like Nick Walenda stands out from the crowd because he could walk across that tightrope. You could stand out from the crowd if you make an intentional decision that every day you're gonna work on practicing the skill of balance. We said it's not, a, it's not a personality trait, it's a skill. You develop balance by developing the way you develop physical balance. You practice it one step at a time, one day at a time, one decision at a time. In your emotional and spiritual life, you develop balance by, by just taking it one step at a time and choosing to treat every single day as a new opportunity, a new chance to practice this skill. Okay, that was week one. Week two, last week, we started a two-week discussion of the idea that there is no such thing as balance by the seat of your pants. There is no such thing as balance on autopilot. You will not be able to mail this in, right? Nick Walenda has been walking on tightrope since he was a toddler. But if you watch that video of him walking across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope, you will see focus like you've never seen before. That guy is just incredibly laser beam focused on what he's doing. Why? Because he knows you cannot be focused in a challenge like that. You cannot be focused on autopilot. Sure, there are things in your life where you, you won't have to think about it a whole lot, but I promise you there will be stressors and difficulties and challenges that will come your way where you absolutely will not be able to be balanced if you don't think it through and if you don't stay focused on it. So we talked about that last week. Last week we talked about kind of the, the daily, hourly, moment by moment picture of how you be intentional. And we said that it's all about where you put your focus. In Pro the first week we were in Proverbs three, the second week we were in Proverbs four. And, and in Proverbs four, the Bible says that we're supposed to fix our focus straight ahead of us. We're supposed to look where we're going. And we said our big takeaway was, take was to look where you're going because you're going where you're looking. And we said that ultimately your focus is very, very important. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to focus on Jesus who is, according to Hebrews, the author and finisher of our faith. What does that mean? That means that God has created a balanced path for us to walk, and by the way, he walked it ahead of us. Sometimes you might wonder, why do we talk so much in church about being like Jesus, Christ-likeness? And part of that is just that it's baked into what scripture talks to us about in the New Testament, but it's bigger than that. Christ-likeness is the understanding that Christ is the perfect example. And if I can follow him just one step at a time, I can experience success because I'm actually, I know I'm walking in the right direction. I know I'm walking a safe path. When I was a, a little boy, there was a guy in our church who had some property in Kingman and he would invite us to come out and fish there from time to time. And it was really a lot of fun. I, I have great memories of that. But one time we went out to go fish in his property and he just warned my dad as we got there. He said, just be careful. There are a lot of, there've been a lot of snakes out there this year and some of them are poisonous. My fishing trip really doesn't seem that important to me at this point. I'm really ready to go home. Uh, I know there are probably some people, in a room this big, there are some people who love snakes. God love you. I just don't, you know. I, I feel like the only good snake is a dead snake. There's a reason why Satan inhabited a snake. We can have a long conversation. We can have a chat about that. But, um, but anyway, so I don't want to meet any snakes. And I remember being really anxious about it. And my dad told me, he's like, Jonathan, just step where I step. And I have this incredible memory from being a little kid of my dad's big stride and finding the places where there were imprints in the grass of his steps and stepping in those places, that's what Jesus has invited us to do. 
He's saying, it is a safe thing if you will just step where I step. If you will walk where I walk, you will be safe. That's what we're talking about, that focus, being focused on Jesus. We spent a week on that last week. This week, we're gonna talk about the big picture of intentionality. I can't do this on autopilot. I have to be intentional. I have to be focused. How do I do this in terms of the big picture? How can I make a long-term plan that will help me in the end have, uh, that I will be able to say at the end of my life that I've lived a balanced life. That's what we're gonna talk about in the short time that we have this morning. To get into that, I, I'm gonna just tell you a story of a guy who came in to see me for counseling at the time. I, I did marriage counseling here for 13 years, recently handed that over to our care pastor. He's doing a wonderful job. Um, but back when I was doing marital counseling, my wife and I had this term that we used. We called it frantic mode. My wife, by the way, is my right hand at the church. She works with me, and anything good that, that you see in my ministry, Wendy is behind the scenes of. She is a huge, I mean, she is the order in my chaotic life. So she manages my calendar, everybody who comes to see me, plus she's an incredible uh, counselor herself. Uh, but Wendy told me that this guy's coming in to see you, he's in frantic mode, and I know what that means. A guy in frantic mode, it kind of works like this. Generally speaking, this guy's wife has been telling him for like three years there's problems in the marriage. But he's unaware that there's ever been problems ever. Um, and for some reason, I don't know, sometimes it's because she threatens to leave him, sometimes it's because she does leave him, sometimes it's because she quits responding to him. There's a number of reasons why, but suddenly, within the last 48 hours, it all hit. And he now realizes how much trouble the relationship's in, so he's frantic, right? So he's sending her flowers and all kinds of gifts and, and sending a, you know, 50 messages to her phone, and he's calling the church and saying, I need to meet with Jonathan in like 20 minutes. Can I meet with Jonathan in like 20 minutes, right? So Wendy wedged this guy into my calendar. He came in and sat down with me, and, and I, I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes to marriages, so I'm, I'm always an advocate for trying to figure out how can we make this work, but as this guy was in my office talking to me, and his wife wasn't with him, I'm really thinking, I'm not sure there's a lot of hope in this particular case. He was telling me about his serial infidelity, telling me about his anger issues. He tells me he wasn't physically abusive, but I don't know, that's what he's telling me. Given his anger issues, I kind of wonder. And you know, he's telling me about the estrangement between him and his kids. It's just a sort of litany of really, really bad life circumstances. And then he says this to me. He looks down at the carpet in my office and mutters this, I have no idea how I ended up here. Well, it's my job to be empathic. unconditional positive regard and all that. But I wanna just say, I can make a guess. <laughs> I thought how strange it would be in another life context to have that happen. I, I have to fly later this year to California to preach at a church. I'm gonna be flying into Orange County. I've been there many times before. So I'm planning on flying into John Wayne International Airport. Imagine if we land, if the plane lands and the pilot comes over the intercom and says, hey folks, this is, this is so embarrassing. Um, we just landed in San Antonio, and I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> I mean, I've been diverted before, but there's always a reason. There's weather or something like that. But can you imagine if the pilot lands the plane and just says, somehow we landed in Texas. I really don't know how we got here. Everybody in the plane's gonna say, we know how you got there. You pointed the plane toward that airport. We would tell the pilot, hey, guess what? You land where you planned. You push the plane in that direction and that's where we ended up landing. See, the thing is, I, that guy's in my office. He's telling me, you know, there's all these affairs and all this stuff and I have no idea how I got here. I can tell you how you got here. Where you land is the result of what you planned. The other way we could say that is, and this is the takeaway for today, the payoff is the result of the path. That end result 
It's because of the path you were going. Now, by the way, I wanna be cautious because somebody in the room could say, now, Jonathan, I'm dealing with some stuff in my life that I didn't cause. I'm dealing, I'm dealing with some rebellion of somebody that I'm in a relationship with, or I'm dealing with some part of it being a broken world. I'm dealing with health or loss or something like that. Totally get that. And I'm certainly not saying every bad thing you go through in life is the result of a path that you chose. What I am saying is the path that you choose will drastically impact the destination that you end up at. It absolutely will. And so the Bible is, is emphasizing that in Galatians where the Bible says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice or the balance of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. By the way, there are three laws of sowing and reaping, and we've gone over these in a different series. The three laws of sowing and reaping are this. Number one, you will harvest what you plant, right? So you're not gonna plant petunias and you know, reap mangoes. You're gonna harvest after you plant. So there's gonna be a season before the harvest happens and that is Satan's biggest tool. It's one of his biggest tools because Satan will tempt you with something that you wouldn't do if you were gonna experience the consequences today. You know what I mean? You're looking at that 85 inch big screen TV. Do they even make 85 inches? I don't even know if that's one of the regular sizes. They make that and you think to yourself, well, I can't afford it, but I have that plastic in my pocket that if I swipe it and do you realize like the, here's the thing that I always think about, and especially in the zone of temptation, if I scan that card and I take away that TV, I don't feel the ouch today. I feel the ouch when the bill comes due. And that's the kind of thing that Satan does to us. He will tempt you with something where you will not feel the ouch today. You'll feel the ouch later. You will reap after you sow. And then finally you will reap more than you sow, which is, which is a either a blessing or a curse for your future. It's a blessing if you're, if you're sowing good things because you're gonna reap a lot more than what you are sowing. On the other hand, it's a curse if you are sowing bad things because eventually you are gonna reap a lot more than what you're sowing. I told you we we're gonna be in Proverbs 4 for the whole rest of the series. Last week, um, we, we looked at the verse right before this. We looked at Proverbs 4.25 last week. This week, we're looking at this verse. Mark out a straight path for your feet, the Bible says. Stay on the safe path. First part of that verse says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Why? Just like when we said last week, the Bible talks about fixing our focus. The reason it says we need to fix our focus is because our feet tend to wander. It's even more so with a path. How many, how many of us have learned that if you have a long ways to walk, all you have to do is take a couple steps off the path early on, and by the time you get all the way down, you're gonna be way off. So it's even more important from that zoomed out viewpoint. I've taken up a new hobby. I've, I've taken up woodworking and I'm loving it. It's the most therapeutic hobby I've ever um, been involved with and I'm having a blast with it. But I recently uh, bought um, some tools, actually a lot of tools. Actually, my wife, <laughs> my wife goes on Amazon and sees our, our account list and I get these calls from Wendy. Did you buy another tool? Yeah, I did and there's more coming. Um, but <laughs> what's interesting is if I go to the garage and I look at all the tools that I bought, um, so many of them are not to cut, they're not to assemble. You know what, they're, what those tools are for? Measuring and marking. So many of the things that I bought are for measuring and marking because if you work with wood, you understand, or if you do metal fabrication or any of that kind of work, you understand that having straight lines, having the ability to mark things correctly means that you will get the right product. I won't get the right product if I don't have the right line. If I don't mark it correctly, I'm not gonna end up making it correctly. And I think that's what the Bible's telling us here is if you don't mark out a line for yourself, you're certainly not gonna have any control of where you end up. 
See, that's why the guy thought he didn't know how he ended up there. The reason he didn't, the reason he said, I don't know how I ended up here. I mean, again, I can make a pretty good guess, but the point is he never, what he's trying to say, he's just not verbalizing it right. What he's trying to say is I never intended to end up here. He's not saying I don't know how, because he does know how. He's saying this wasn't what I planned, this wasn't what I intended, but that is what happens when we don't mark out a straight line. When we don't have a plan of where we're going, we tend to go to some places we never wanted to go. Well, what about marking a straight line? In order to do that, you need to know two things. Number one, you need to know where are you now, and number two, you need to know where do you wanna end up. When when we were in school, they taught us a line is the straightest distance between what? Two points, and these are the two points you need to know. You need to know where am I at right now and where where do I wanna go? When I was a teenager, I I think I was about 17, I was working at the local Volvo dealership, Mark Gorgeous back then had a couple of dealerships, and one of the things that I would end up doing for him from time to time was, was taking a car, kind of like a porter. I would take a car from one dealership to another, move a car from this dealership to that. So kind of driving around Wichita. And what you have to know is I have zero sense of direction, absolutely none. GPS was actually a gift from God to me. You, you're all welcome that God did that for me, but it was really just... He was doing that for my benefit. But, uh, so, but at this time, I don't have GPS, and I easily get lost, but I don't want to tell my employer because I don't want to get fired. So what happened is I would be driving a car somewhere, and I would totally get lost, and I would call my dad. I had my cell phone, and I would call him. My dad, my whole life, my dad has always taken my call. It's crazy. He'll step out of important meetings and always take call from one of us boys. And I called him, and I, and I would say, I'm lost. What is my dad's first question when I tell him I'm lost? Where are you? Doesn't that seem a little strange to you? Like, if I knew where I was, I wouldn't be lost, you know? Um, but so then he would tell me, he would say, well, like, go find, find a parking lot, park in the parking lot, and go find the nearest street sign, because it can't be more than a block away. So go walk to the nearest street sign, say, see what the two streets are, that'll tell you the intersection, then you can tell me and I'll tell you where to get. And that idea of walking to find the street signs, that actually worked out really well for me. The one time it didn't work well is I was on I-35, but that's a whole other story for another day. But <laughs> Um, actually was further than a block away. But um, you need to know where are you now. Why is it important to know where you are now? Because self-awareness always comes before self-discipline. See, some of us want to discipline ourselves, but we're not aware of where we are. I've met some lovely people, wonderful people, that when I sit with their family, it is very clear to me that they do not understand the impact they're having on their family members. They do not understand the impact they're having on their coworkers. They don't understand how people are hearing the things that they're saying. They don't understand how the thought patterns that they have are impacting their life choices. And and it's like they come to me because, well, I wanna develop in these areas. And what they're saying is I wanna learn self-discipline. But we don't learn self-discipline until we first learn self-awareness. I have to be aware of what my challenges are before I can start to draw lines for where I need to go. And then secondly, I need to know where that goal is, that God goal. What is that goal that God has placed in my heart for developing in this area? We've talked already about three areas where those are good questions, my thoughts, my words, my actions, where am I at, where do I wanna go? Can I throw just a few more in the pile for you? A few more to think about in this area is relationships. How am I doing in relationships? Where am I at in those? Where am I at in my personal wellness? Look, I'm, I'm both a physical being, a spiritual being, and an emotional being, and I need to have wellness in all three of those zones. So I need to be able to ask myself, how am I doing in those areas? What about my impact, the footprint that I'm leaving on this world? And what about my Christian life, where I stand with God? These are all areas where we need to be constantly asking ourselves, where am I at and where do I wanna go? Because by doing that, I can begin to draw a straight line. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna encourage you to do that as an exercise. When you get home, take out a piece of paper, 
draw a line down the middle and up at the top, write a heading on one side that says where I'm at right now and write a heading on the other side that says where I'd like to be. And then look at these areas that I've given you here, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my relationships, my wellness, my impact, my Christian life, and start to think about where am I at, where do I wanna be? That will give you some clarity to draw lines to go, okay, what are the, what are the lines that I need to follow to, to get me there? The plan to be balanced. Now that was going to be my entire talk. My whole talk was gonna be about developing an understanding of where I am and where I wanna be. But as I kept reading that verse this week and as I kept meditating on it and thinking about it, I kept coming to the conclusion that of the two tasks in that verse, marking out a straight line is probably the easier one. There's two tasks in that verse. The first one is to mark out a straight path. The second task is to resolve to stay on the path. Remember, this is Proverbs 4.26, mark out a straight path and then do what? Stay on it. See, actually, I'm quite good at marking out paths. My problem is sticking with the paths that I mark out. Amen. I am card-carrying, diagnosed, off-the-charts ADHD. And something you may not know about ADHD people is we tend to be creative thinkers. And one of the nice things about being a creative thinker is we can come up with all sorts of systems for things, right? You don't normally think of an ADHD person as a systems person, and here's why. We're great at developing them. We are terrible at following them. So it, I, I could come up with, if you're, if you're having trouble being organized at your office, I'd go to Office Depot and buy you all kinds of things, come up with a color coding system and all these different things that's gonna make you be organized, right? But then if, if I was the one who had to follow it, I would never do it. My office is full of organization systems that I developed that I never followed, right? See, a path is no good if you're not gonna walk it. A line is no good if you're not gonna follow it. See, the Bible says that the, the Bible tells us that God's word is like a mirror. And some people will look into the mirror of God's word and they will draw out a line of where they need to go to get closer to God and they will walk away from it and they will follow that line. But the Bible says there are other people who look into the mirror of God's word and they get a glance of how they, how they are and where they are with God, but then they walk away and they totally forget it. That's that challenge of not following the line. It's like, I know what I need to do, but then I just easily let the, the as, as Jesus would talk about in the parable of the seeds, the worries of this world start to crowd in and I forget the tasks that I've been called to do to develop to be like Christ. So I wanna to talk to you in a second about three areas of your life where I really think it's important to invest your energy to staying on the line. I don't have a magic solution for you to make it easier to stay on the line. What I will tell you is that it takes energy. It absolutely takes energy and commitment to walk the line. So you need to know where to put that energy. And I'm gonna show you three areas where I think if you put your energy in these three areas and you stay on the line in these three areas, I think you will see massive forward movement and the balance in your life. But before we get there, how, how even in these three areas I'm getting ready to get, give you, how do I stay on the line? Like what kind of discipline can I learn to stay on the line? I wanna give you something that I like to call the calibration question. I told you I've been working with a lot of measuring and, and, and uh, marking tools. And one of the things that's so important about them is they're calibrated. They're calibrated to a standard. And if it loses its calibration, it's just not very helpful anymore. And the reason that we tend to struggle with following lines is because we tend to calibrate, um, we lose our calibration and we go off in different directions. And so to be able to continually bring myself back to the line that I've drawn, to continually recalibrate myself to the line that I've drawn, I need to learn to ask myself this question, which is, is this step compatible with my path? Is this thing I'm getting ready to do is this person I'm getting ready to hang out with? Is this place that I'm getting ready to go? Is it compatible with the path that I've chosen, with the line that I've drawn? That is so important because if I can begin to ask that a step at a time, 
it can begin to keep me on the right path. And by the time we're done with this talk, I'm gonna tell you how this question has become so much of why New Spring, God has blessed it the way that he has, and even in my personal life, how big it's been. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk to you about these three areas where we can ask that calibration question. We can keep coming back to these three areas with that question. The first one is my personal patterns. My habits, the things that I keep coming back to, the, the things that are kind of characteristic of me. Second thing is the people that I hang out with. And the third is the places that I go. And when I say the places that I go, I'm not really meaning that geographically. I more mean like the situations you put yourself into. You know when people say don't go there? That's kind of what I'm talking about. The things that I'm willing to go there and the things where it's like a don't go there kind of thing. So first, um, really quickly, let's talk about personal patterns. Because patterns are the building blocks of a path my patterns will eventually morph into a life path. And actually you can do the math backwards. Chances are, if you're wondering why you're on, like that guy who was in my office, he's wondering why he's on this life path. I can tell you why he's on this life path. It's a series of patterns that have now morphed together into a single path. There are patterns of behavior, patterns of people, patterns of places that he has accepted, that he has, that he has taken into his life that now have created the path that he's on. So patterns are very, very powerful. More than anything, Satan wants, you, wants to get you to establish a pattern that is just flat out not compatible with your path. If he can get you into a pattern that's not compatible with your path, he is well on the way to getting you on a completely different path, right? Um, the Bible says this in James. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away. So first comes the tempting, then comes the dragging. When they're tempted... Uh, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, right? Do you see this idea of it starts to morph together? It gives birth to death. I brought this little prop with me. I went through my prop door. You guys know I like to, to preach with props. This is a seven-year-old. I did this in a sermon seven years ago. I had this lure out here. And actually, I put a little plastic on it because that one time when I preached from it, I actually hooked my finger with it kind of embarrassing when you're like, don't get hooked by Satan. Ow! Um, last week I told you a lure, and fishermen know this, a lure is a small attractive moment attached to a big unattractive future. Right? And that's what Satan will come to you with. He'll come to you with a small attractive moment that's attached to a very big unattractive future. And here's what the Bible says. What we just read in James says, first comes the luring, then comes the dragging. Well, what is the dragging about? It is the dragging away from your path. What is the point of the scripture saying that it drags us away? What does it drag you away from? It drags you away from the path that you know you should be on. But we see that lure and it's very exciting, very, looks like something we would really want. But we have to ask ourselves: is this, this is something that I, I didn't talk to the other, the other services about. One of the things about lures, I understand that they're made to be attractive, but one of the things that I was talking to a fisherman about the other day is I said, so what real thing in all of the bodies of water that we have to fish in around here looks like this? Like what actual object you know, made by God, looks like this in the water. And the fisherman said, oh, nothing looks like that. We make it look better than the real stuff. And I thought, isn't it true that that's what Satan does? It's fake, but he makes it look better than the real stuff. I can't tell you, man, I'm really off topic now because I'm kind of off in the weeds, but I can't tell you how many 
people I've sat across from in my office who thought they needed this relationship outside of their marriage. They thought this was the greatest thing ever. They end up in an affair with this person. They find out the person they're in an affair with is a hot mess. And I've had so many times where I've, so many times where somebody's been in my office and said, I don't know how to get out of this relationship. It's ruined my marriage. I can't get my marriage back. At this point, I would settle to just get out of this relationship. And they're basically saying, I'm just trying to offload this person that basically up, that I, the two of us upended my life together. Because Satan will try to make fake, messed up stuff look better than the real stuff to you. Because first comes the luring and then comes the dragging. What is the Bible telling us? Well, we just need to consider the consequences before caving to the craving. What, what, is, the, what is the end of this gonna be? Where is this taking me? In one passage in Proverbs, I don't have it on a slide, but in one passage in Proverbs, it says that fools, well, it says that a wise person sees danger and takes precautions. I like that. It says a wise person sees danger and takes precautions. A foolish person plunges recklessly ahead. I remember when I was, uh, when we moved here, we, we, we lived in Derby for a while. Uh, eight years, actually. We lived in Derby for quite a while. But when, when we first moved here, I could get on K96 and I could get on um, 54 West and I could hit Greenwich and go south. It was a very effective way of my getting down to Derby. But it wasn't very long after we moved here that they shut the 54 West exit uh, down off of K96. They shut it down for like 15, 20 years. And... Um, <laughs> No, actually, they opened it up right after we moved north. It was great. Um, but there was a sign there that said road closed and big orange sign and all that. I never had the impulse to plunge recklessly through that with abandon, right? Because I understand that road is, is washed out, so I know I'm going to have to take a different path. Well, the Bible says that a foolish person in their spiritual life, in their emotional life, will see the road closed sign and will still just go straight, straight through it. Because the thought is, keep in mind that Satan from the very beginning has been telling people that road isn't closed, it just looks closed. Just go for it. Patterns, they're so important, they have power because a pattern, uh, because a poor choice becomes a pattern and a pattern becomes a path. The second thing is people, people in my life. Show me your three closest friends, I'll tell you where you're going in life. Because whoever it is that you're attached to, you're going where they're headed. Your future is attached to their future. If you're attached to them, your future is attached to their future. And so you have to ask yourself, are the consequences that they are bargaining for consequences that I'm okay with? Young people in this room, consequences of the lives of your friends are real and they can change the rest of your life. They can change the rest of your life. If you're with friends who will lift you up and elevate you and the consequences that they're headed toward are good consequences, you will find that you are in a better place over time than you are right now. But I promise you, if the friends that you're hanging out with are people that are headed for negative consequences, you will find that your, wife is, your, your life is much worse than you ever bargained for. And things that you didn't even do to deserve, you will end up in the same consequences with them. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 4, don't do as the wicked do and don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. You say, Jonathan, surely what you're not saying is that if I'm with a friend and they have a rebellious spirit and they're doing things that aren't right, that I, surely you're not saying that I should walk away from that friendship and put distance between myself and that person. That is exactly what I'm saying. Amen. That's exactly what I'm saying. It may just be for a season. 
story of the prodigal son tells us that even the people that are most messed up in their mind can make a turnaround. And at that point, we can celebrate and we can consider whether or not we can begin to walk together again. But up until that point, we need to, we need to understand that you cannot walk together in the same direction if, we, if you don't wanna go to the destination that they're going to. If I can see where they're going and that's not someplace I wanna go, then I cannot walk with them. Few things about people in your life, and especially young people in the room. I, I'd like to consider myself a young person, but <laughs> I kind of mean younger than me. Here's some things to keep in mind as you think about who you want to attach yourself to in life. Number one, you need to know about people that if they can't listen, they won't learn. People that can't listen are not good companions in this life. As a matter of fact, listening is what makes you a safe person. The ability to get feedback from other people and to actually hear it and digest it and work through it and think critically about it, that makes you a safe person. But a person who has turned off their ears has also turned off their brain and they're not a good person to, to link arms with. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 19. If you stop listening to instruction, you will turn your back on knowledge. A person who has stopped listening has stopped learning. Make sure somebody that you are, when you're asking yourself, is this person compatible with my path? One of the things you need to ask is, are they somebody who can listen? Are they somebody who's room, who has room in their heart and in their mind for more people's thoughts than just their own? Second thing is what they say tells you a lot about who they are. The Bible says, and this is, I'm gonna skip to the end of this because I'm running a little short on time, but this is Jesus speaking. He says, what you say flows from what? What is in your heart? I've had so many people tell me before, oh, they just say stuff like that. I had this happen like a week ago. Somebody told me, well, you know, sometimes they make racist comments and it kind of bothers me, but you know, you just have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. No, don't take it with a grain of salt. What you are hearing is what is in their heart because what is in your heart comes out your mouth. So yeah, take a listen to what they say because that's a good clue. By the way, young people in this room that are dating, please do not date someone who speaks disrespectfully to their parents. They may be as sweet as honey to you now, but I promise they will talk to you just as disrespectfully in the future as they talk to their parents and more so. Right? Listen to how they talk to other people. If, if somebody that you want to link arms with it can be gracious and kind and respectful to other people, they can be that way to you over time. But if they can't be that way to other people, the fact that they're that way to you right now, that's a temporary thing. That's a temporary thing. Third thing I'll tell you about people is that a rebellious person makes a rotten partner. See, a rebel is always headed for trouble. A rebel, by the way, is a person who says, I know what I'm doing is bad, and I know that what I'm doing is destructive, but I'm gonna do it anyway. That's what a rebel is. When you see, because the scripture is very strong in its words about rebellion. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible tells us that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. It's a, it's a big deal. But what rebellion is, it's just saying, I know that I'm destroying, but I don't care. I'm gonna continue to destroy. I have a good reason for it, right? And a person who's destructive like that makes a rotten partner because you are gonna end up in the same trouble that they're in. And by the way, that's not me talking. That's the scripture talking. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Notice it didn't say do the wrong thing and get in trouble. It didn't say you're gonna get in trouble because you're doing the wrong thing. It says you're gonna get in trouble because you're hanging out with people that are doing the wrong thing. Your future is gonna be morphed and, and adjusted by the people that you are spending time with. The third thing is the places that you go. And again, as I said, like, it's like the situations that you put yourself in. This is a metaphor in Proverbs 9. The woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there 
Her guests are in the depths of the grave. What is the Bible telling us? The Bible is telling us that most, most paths to destruction begin with a seemingly harmless invitation to a place where you probably shouldn't be. One of the things that would change our world in the Christian life in terms of dealing with temptation is just to resolve not to go to places that just aren't smart. See, there are places that I could go that wouldn't be wrong, but it wouldn't be smart either. Here at New Spring, we follow the Billy Graham rules on staff and Sometimes people are kind of surprised by that, like rules about staffers of the opposite sex and, and, and staffers as they work with members of the opposite sex. You won't find me in a room alone with a member of the opposite sex. I don't, um, uh, I, I, you won't find me eating alone with another lady. You won't find me um, riding in a car with her. You won't find me hanging out with some other lady. Um, anytime there's a, it, it would just be like that. Wendy would always be there. She's always gonna be there. Or if I had to do something here at the church and do some sort of meeting with, where it was gonna be me and a lady, there'll always be a, a female staffer there. Like there are rules that we put in place. And sometimes people go, well, that's very archaic. Certainly, you know, and they would say to me, Jonathan, certainly you could, you could be in an ongoing counseling relationship with a lady and you wouldn't do anything wrong. I'd like to hope so. But I've also seen a lot of my friends and colleagues in ministry that have gotten themselves into a lot of trouble. And frankly, it's just not a position that I wanna really put myself in. Not for my sake and not for her sake, whoever I would be counseling. I wanna do what is most sensible to make sure that I've put myself on the track for the best possible outcome. Does that make sense? So like what situation I put, let, let, me, let me tone it down just a little bit, what I mean by that. So um, I've mentioned dieting so much in sermons that I've probably really wearied you guys with that. And you're probably like, we just need to pray for Jonathan. He's a really a mess when it comes to that. Um, but last September, I, I really had hit a weight that fortunately I haven't, I haven't gotten back up to, but I'd hit a weight where I was like, I really need to, to work on this. And so I got an app for my phone. Um, and I, I, by the way, you wanna talk about marking out the line is not the hard part. I, it asked me how much I weighed, I punched that in. It asked me how much I wanted to weigh, I punched that in, and then it drew the line for me. Okay, well, this is what you need to do, right? The issue was following the line. For a while, I did okay with that. September, October, most of November, I worked out every single day. I counted every single calorie. I lost quite a bit of weight. And then in November, end of November, I was speaking at a church in Connecticut, and I love this church, but it had been a long day, um, and I was getting ready to preach the next day. I had, had a long day on a Saturday and I was back at the hotel and it was late and the church, such a thoughtful church, they always do really sweet things for me. And one of the things they had done is they had put healthy food in my room because they knew I was trying to lose weight. So they, there were water bottles and there were like peanuts and different kinds of snacks. They really thought it through, such a sweet church. I love them. Um, and I was looking at those snacks as I got there late at the hotel on Saturday night and I thought I really should eat those. But then I, I remembered that as I walked in the door, they had the little sundry shop. You know how they have in the little hotel, there's a little shop as you walk in. And I thought maybe they have some healthy stuff down there too, you know? Um, <laughs> like a larger selection of healthy stuff, you know? Keep in mind at this point, I haven't had a soda. Coke, Coke is my nemesis. I hadn't had a soda in months. I'd been, as I said, I've been counting every calorie and I go down there and I buy two bottles of Coke and Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> here's, here's where the rubber meets the road though. Before I ever went down there, there was a little voice in my head going, that's probably not smart. How many times do we override the little voice? How many times do we put ourselves in the situation even though there's something inside our head that goes, that's probably not smart. Not that it's wrong. It wasn't wrong for me to go down to that sundry shop, but it just wasn't smart. It wasn't really smart. So where I put myself, that is so important. Now, I, I need to turn a quick corner as we, as we close down the talk. 
As I've talked about personal patterns, boy, that's, I, I get, I'm really, I'm, I'm really poking and prodding when I'm talking about that. I'm really poking and prodding when I'm talking about people and places that you go. And it could be that somebody's here going, Jonathan, this talk, if you wanted to make me feel guilty, you've succeeded. I have, I have issues in all these areas and I, I, wanna, I, I do wanna work on it, but I'm a little discouraged. Can I just tell you, the encouraging message of today is that God is the God of the reboot. If, if you look in, yeah, he is, that's who he is. If you look in the Gospels, you'll see the word repentance over and over again. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is the act of drawing a new line and sticking with it. Because biblically, the idea of repentance is I was walking down this path and I become aware that this path is hurting me and others and I make a turnaround and choose a new path. So what repentance is, is just saying, and here's, the, here's the beautiful thing about it is, God is always willing for his children to repent. Always, always, always. So he's good at any point with you drawing a new line and saying, this is where I'm gonna go and starting fresh today. The Bible says this, Joel the prophet, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that is why the Lord says, turn to me when? Now. It's not, well, it's too late. You know, you missed your opportunity. Turn, turn to me now. And at the end of this passage, it says, God is eager to relent and not punish. God doesn't want to see you end up at the end of a bad path. He wants to see you at the end of a good path. And he's always willing for you to make a change. And here's the even better news. And I want to give you two illustrations of this and we'll be done. If you draw a new line to get as close to God as you can, God will resource you to follow that path. He'll give you the resources to follow that path. I'll give you an example. This is the church that I, I grew up in. It was this church. This, this picture is probably... Uh, I don't know, may, maybe 35 years old, somewhere in there. And um, I, this was at the corner of Hillside and Mount Vernon. Back in those days, our church was known as Messiah Baptist Church. Um, I remember the red carpet and red pews. It was a very 60s building. Um, but uh, anyway, this, when I think about church when I was a kid, this is the church I remember. And one thing, up on this half wall up here, we would used to put signs and decorations and stuff. This would have been during some sort of a missions conference, but I remember for a while there, we had a big thing up on that half wall that said, winning the lost at any cost, it's a nice rhyme. And when we said lost, what we meant is people that are spiritually unresolved. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so the idea was bringing people to Jesus at any cost. The only issue is probably internationally that was true for us because as a church, we gave a ton to international missions more than most churches our size and we were very, very invested in that. But as it relates to Wichita, not so much. The idea of winning the loss at any cost if it had to do with our community, well, if costs related to money, I think we probably would have gotten a green light. If we had gone before the church and said we need to spend this money to win the people in Wichita, I think the church would have been willing to open up wallets. The issue was, if any cost meant changing the way we do church, that was gonna be a non-starter. Because we did church for the people who came to church. Church was church for the church people at the church that I grew up in. Good church people, wonderful church people, people that I loved, people that I, I still see in, as, I, as I go to grocery stores in Wichita, many of whom have, have moved, moved on to other ministries, but I love them very much, but we were a church that really was doing church for the church people. And so that model wasn't really true. But there came a point where my dad said, we need to draw a new line. In 2004, my dad got on this very platform and said, we will pay any price to reach the spiritually unresolved people of Wichita and the world surrounding that. And by the way, that wasn't necessarily very well received. There, was a lot of, there were a lot of people who understood, like they got what he was saying. We're not gonna, we're, we're gonna change stuff up around here. Whatever it takes to make this a place that you would wanna, here's the deal, you have to understand, it's not necessarily a normal thing 
that if somebody were to ask a churchgoer, if you had one shot to bring somebody who didn't know Jesus to your church, is your church the place that you would want them to go? That's not necessarily a normal thing. It is a, God has gifted us with the ability at New Spring that, that, that those of us who are here think, if I had one shot for my neighbor to come to church, I want them to come to New Spring. This is where I would want them to come to. But that wasn't who we were. But when we decided that was who we were gonna be, even though we took a loss in terms of people that were coming to church, there were plenty of people, well-intentioned, wonderful people who just didn't see things the same way and couldn't walk forward with us. But when we made that decision, God let us draw a new line. And the fact that you're here today and the fact that that New Spring is what it is and Kids World is what it is and all that, that is all evidence of the fact that God will resource you. If you draw a new line, God will give you the resources to get there. One more picture. This is of Wendy and I. We've been married here for, I know, aw, everybody's, yeah. We were, we were, we were married quite young, but this is, we've been married for about six months here, and I know what you're thinking, how did such a hottie end up with such a naughty? Um, <laughs> don't know, don't care, she signed the paperwork, she's stuck. Um, so, what you need to know though is behind those smiles, um, we didn't have a very good marriage. Um, there was nothing immoral or illegal going on, but we literally could not get along. We, were, we dated for a very short period of time before we got married. We never fought during that dating time. From the moment, I mean, on our honeymoon, the week that we were on our honeymoon, we fought nonstop pretty much, and, and we were in conflict for, and we had terrible conflict for the first few years of our marriage. So much so that uh, I was working at a car dealership at sort of the crisis point, and I went in and I told my supervisor, I need to take a week off so that I can file for divorce. I'm done, I'm done with this marriage. And I've told this story here before, but my boss at the time um, said, I'm gonna go stand outside my office door, because I was in his office. I'm gonna go stand outside my office door, and I'm not letting you out until you call. We had a number where you could call up the company's counseling benefits, and you could call up the, so he said, you call that line, you set up counseling, or I'm not letting you out. It turns out that it's just, you know, profoundly illegal um, to do that to an employee. But, um, but he and his wife were divorced, and he said, you don't want to walk this road. And so I will always think of Mike as being somebody who made a huge difference in our life, even though I don't know what his spiritual disposition is, but I think about the, the impact that he made on my life. We saw a counselor, and guess what that counselor helped us do? That counselor helped us put a pin in where we were, draw a line to where we needed to be, and then Wendy and I were convinced that somehow we would find a way to walk that line. And God resourced us in that challenge. It wasn't always easy, but God resourced us in that. And today I have this picture of, this is the most recent Married Life Life. Wendy and I, through, through God's blessing, we've been able to teach through seminars, through, through couples events. We've taught thousands of couples counseled hundreds of couples, um, and that's just because God was willing to resource us. I mean, we, we're nobody special. It's just that when, when you draw a new line, God will give you the resources to get there. So I don't want you to be discouraged. Actually, what I want you to do is be encouraged about the fact that the future that you could have is probably far greater than what you could imagine. God is calling you to draw a new line, and if you follow that line, your future could be amazing, and you could change the world for God by just doing that one simple thing. Let me pray for you and I'll turn you loose. Father, thank you so much for everyone who is here this morning. Thank you for the fact that you've created us to achieve balance. Even though we're in a world that wants to push us off balance, you've given us the capacity to do this. Now help us as we work hard to develop that skill and to get closer to you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. 
For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org. 